we're kind of looking at the book of Matthew. Remember last week we finished up the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a statement made by Matthew at the end of chapter 7 that I'd like to begin with today. It really is the essence of what he's been doing so far in the book of Matthew. It's also going to be teaching about as we move on as well. Chapter 7, verse 28, it says, When Yeshua had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You see, what Matthew has been doing, what Matthew will continue to do is to show Yeshua's authority. We've spoken about this before. What is meant here is that, you know, the rabbis of Yeshua's day taught not in their own name, but they always taught in the name of another rabbi, an earlier sage or an earlier rabbi. They would say, you have heard it said by Rabbi Levi. And then they would continue on with their teaching. But Yeshua taught as one who had authority. He said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. He taught in his own name by the authority God had given him in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 because he was the prophet like unto Moses who would speak the very words of God. His authority on earth was not limited to reteaching Torah as his predecessors taught. And that's something Matthew wanted to make a point of. And so immediately following the sermon, he brings this out, this statement out. And now we're going to go into Matthew chapter 8 and we're going to see Yeshua display his authority in another way. Chapter 8 begins with the story of a man being cleansed from leprosy. And if we look at the Torah for the subject of leprosy, we're going to find that while the priesthood had authority to examine the leper to determine if he had leprosy or if the leprosy had left, whether he was clean or unclean. They did not, nor is there anywhere in the Torah that said that they cleansed lepers. They merely determined who was clean and who was unclean. So the priest could declare them clean and unclean, but was not able to really do anything about it, at least according to the Torah. The other thing I want you to see from this is that leprosy was not so much thought of as a disease as it was as a state of uncleanness. An uncleanness that rendered anyone that touched that person or even being in close proximity with them in the same house also rendered that person unclean. Having that condition left you to live a life that really was no life at all. Listen to what the words of Torah say about such a person in Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Can you imagine the lonely existence for such a person that they had to live alone or at best with other lepers? And if you came near someone, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, to warn that person. And the other thing, there's no mention of anyone having authority to cleanse that person. The priest could only examine and ascertain whether the person was cleansed or not. It really left you alone. It left you to yourself, crying out to God for help. And with that understanding, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. And when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. 
And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Yeshua reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And then Yeshua said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So I want you to get the full impact of what we have here. We have this man approaching this crowd where Yeshua is teaching. And he's approaching the crowd and he's crying, unclean, unclean. And the crowd begins to separate, cutting this man a wide path. He's unclean. Close proximity, just a touch, will do the same to you. And notice what he says, because he doesn't say you can heal me, but he says you can make me clean. And pay attention to the faith in this statement. If you're willing, you can make me clean. There's no provision for such a thing in the Torah. And notice that Yeshua doesn't say be healed. He says be clean, be cleansed. And that may seem like a small thing to you, but to someone in the first century, that was no small distinction. The leper also notice he kneels and he worships, he prostrates himself. And worships in submission. And more importantly, he calls him Lord. Kyrios in the Greek. And I put the definition up here. The sovereign, prince, chief. A title of honor and respect. The title is given to God, the Messiah. They see that Yeshua is sovereign and he's sent from God. Some of the things that can render you unclean are issues of blood. Other bodily fluids, touching a dead person, leprosy. Last and more important, violations of Torah leave you unclean. Sin leaves you unclean. Sin renders a person unclean. Sin offerings were actually offerings for the uncleanness that you were in. Listen to the instructions for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where where atonement was made for the sins of Israel for the entire year. Verse 29. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work. Whether native-born or alien living among you, because on this day, atonement will be made to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. You see, the, the Yom Kippur offerings were to cleanse the sins of Israel, to cleanse them from this state of uncleanness, to cleanse the sanctuary of God. In other words, sin had defiled the people made the people unclean, and even defiled the sanctuary. Listen to what one rabbi says of sin. He says, This impurity makes its mark on the sinner's personality. Sin, as it were, removes the divine halo from one's head, impairing his spiritual integrity. And the moment a person sins, he lessens his own worth. He brings himself down. He becomes spiritually defective, thus foregoing his former status. This is not a form of punishment or a fine. It's not imposed in a spirit of anger, wrath, or vindictiveness. But it is a metaphysical corruption of the human personality, of the divine image of man. Listen to what he says because I know that it's true. Sin is about impurity. It's a blemish on one's soul. A corruption of the human personality. And that's what makes this story of leprosy such a wonderful lesson. Because leprosy does to your outward appearance what sin does to your inward self. And both render you unclean. 
And so the leper asks Yeshua to cleanse him and Yeshua says, be clean. Uncleanness will separate you from God and from the community. Just as leprosy separated you from God and from the community. And because it's like the bitter water we spoke of before from the book of Exodus, the pure, when touched by the impure, renders the pure impure. And with that understanding, we'll begin to understand verses like this more clearly. Like Jeremiah 33 verse 8, it says, I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins and their rebellion against me. It says, I will forgive and I will cleanse them. It almost sounds like a two-part process, doesn't it? Yeshua can forgive your sin and He can cleanse you from the impurity that's caused by that sin. Yeshua is willing to cleanse you from those things, but it may take a little conscious effort on your part, a little work on your part to stay free from the effects of those things as well. We need to see that Yeshua took care of all of our infirmities. He forgave us. He made us pure and holy and ready to go before God. He covered us. He's an atonement, a covering. He covered us so that when we go before God, God sees us through the lens of Yeshua's work. And because of what Yeshua did for us, we're like a newborn baby. We're like pure and innocent, like Adam was made originally. We're an innocent child in his eyes. We're no longer damaged goods. Goods that have been damaged by the sins of this world. We are no longer covered in sores and blemishes of sin. But we're holy. And we're able to go before a holy God. Now what would Yeshua saying to the leper be cleansed and having him immediately cleansed and healed from this leprosy say to those present? Well, He can not only heal, but it says, be cleansed, be restored to the community. The leper believes that Yeshua can cleanse him, that he can restore him to the community, restore him to God. And there's another thing that we we need to learn from this. You know, we all believe that Yeshua has forgiven us, but many times we fail to see how complete the work that he did and what it's really done for us, really done to us. We fail to realize who we are in the Lord is not at all who we think we are and certainly not what others think of us any longer. And many times we have these old messages that we picked up through life and we believe those things about ourselves. And they are in direct conflict with who we are in Messiah and how God sees us. And because of that, it keeps us from being all that we could be in the kingdom all that God would have for us. You see, we need to focus on who the Lord tells us we are in Him and not what others think. This realizing that we are a new creation and everything is new and we are now what God declares, not who we might think we are or not who others, what others have told us. You know, I remember when I was first saved, I stayed in the house for over a week. I didn't want to see anyone. I just walked around marveling at how new everything was. It seemed like the whole world had changed. 
Everything was new. And you know what? As I studied, I found out it pertains to every area of your life. God has cleansed you from all uncleanness. We are new. Everything is new. All we have to do is believe it and walk in it. The other thing that's striking about this story and that should hit home hard for some is that Yeshua, you know, they try to tell us that Yeshua did, did away with the Torah, but what does He tell the leper? He says, see that you don't tell anyone, but go you show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see, even though Yeshua cleansed him and the leprosy is gone, He tells him, go do what the Torah requires. So it would seem that Yeshua is upholding the Torah and not abolishing it in any sense of the word. And we learn that after Yeshua cleanses us, we still have obligations under the Torah. We have obligations to be fulfilled. And they are the requirements of the Torah. We have an obligation to stay away from further uncleanness. What the story tells us of Yeshua is that He not only had authority from God to reteach Torah, but He had authority to purify from uncleanness. Which means Yeshua can restore the unclean so that once again they can have fellowship with God and be a part of His covenant community. You know, that is truly good news. The other amazing thing about this story, it says Yeshua reaches out and He touches the man and He says, Be cleansed! You remember what I said above what the Torah teaches? It teaches that anything clean that touches something unclean renders the clean unclean. Not so with Yeshua. Not so with God. God alone can render the unclean clean. And so again, this speaks to the divine nature of Yeshua, to His authority. And more so it speaks to what they believed about Yeshua at this time and early on in His ministry and how much they believed about Yeshua. One more thing. This man has spent his life in a leper colony with others of the same kind. He can no longer return. He must stay away. He must, or if he returns, he'll become unclean again. The same is true of Yeshua cleansing us. And it's why I said it would take some work on our part. We have to leave our former lives and never return. You see, we're on the other side of that unclean, unclean. We now have to avoid the unclean things in life. We are now those who must walk the other way. We have to look at life differently now. We have to avoid the uncleanness in life. Yeah, we can go tell our former friends and our former associates who are still living this unclean life. We can go tell them about Yeshua and what He did for us, but we can never go back and touch it again because it will render us just as unclean. Now, next we have the story of a centurion and we have another story of Yeshua's authority. A centurion is a man who understands of authority of another kind. And this story is filled with illusions of a prophecy being fulfilled. And we'll look at that in a minute. It begins with verse 5 and it says, And when Yeshua had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed in a terrible suffering. And Yeshua said, I'll go to him. I'll go and heal him. 
First, the centurion seeks him, which should take us to a prophecy by Zechariah. Zechariah 8, verse 22 says this, And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty, to entreat Him. And here we see a centurion from the mightiest nation in the world entreating Yeshua. And this isn't the end of the prophecy, but this is the beginning, the start of the fulfillment. Something to notice here is that Yeshua says, I'll go! I will go and heal Him! In other words, he's going to go to the home of a centurion, a Roman soldier, and the servant is at home sick. And for Yeshua to go and heal him, he would be going into the home of a non-Jew, entering into a home that by tradition would render him unclean. And Yeshua doesn't hesitate. He says, I'll go. We should keep in mind as we read this, that the law declaring non-Jews unclean was a law of the rabbis and not one of God's, not of the Torah. And so Yeshua says, I'll go. I'll heal him. It's why God tells Peter in Acts chapter 10, don't call any man unclean that I have made clean. The satyrian, he realizes this dilemma and even though Yeshua says he'll go, he tells him not to go. Just command that he'll be healed and he'll be healed. But Yeshua's willingness to go is a foreshadowing of Acts chapter 10 for us. And again, it shows uh, that Yeshua, as with him touching a leper, that Yeshua isn't so concerned with the uncleanness of the world because the unclean, when touched by Yeshua, becomes clean. It goes on to say, The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. He knows Jewish law. But he believes that if Yeshua will just say the words, that his servant will be healed. And so it goes on to say, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Yeshua heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, I love this because it says Yeshua was astonished. You know, you can read many places where Yeshua, where people, where many people were astonished by Yeshua. But it was really hard to astonish Yeshua. Yeshua is astonished because this centurion, he understood authority. But he also sees and believes that Yeshua has divine authority. The centurion also understood this prophecy because he had to know that Yeshua was not there just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel alone, but the one by whom God will fulfill the promise to Abraham. In you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. I've often wondered if this might be the centurion that we read about in Acts chapter 10. You know, there were many centurions. It means the leader of a hundred men. And there were a lot of Romans and living in the land of Israel, a lot of soldiers. But it would seem quite possible, doesn't it? Yeshua sees the centurion's faith and he does not disappoint. Not only does he heal the servant from afar, as the centurion believes, but he also confirms a prophecy. Listen to what he says. I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at a feast with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Yeshua said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. You see, it's by faith that the nations of the earth will be blessed just as Abraham received the promise because of his faith. So too will be those from the nations and all nations to include Israel receive the promise through faith that God will bring about that he spoke to Abraham. It's truly impossible to please God except through faith. And the centurion, because of his faith, will be a part of this promise. Next, one has to wonder who Yeshua is referring to when he says the subjects of the kingdom. And some say it's the Jewish people, but I'm of the opinion it's the leaders. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the heads of the families. Who would be seated with the heads of the families but the other leaders of the families? And what a stinging indictment it would be for the leaders in Israel and against the leaders of the, uh, of the people. For Gentiles, for those from the nations to come and take their places at the Messianic banquet. It's really... It's really amazing when you understand a couple of other things. A true foreshadowing of what Shaul will make so clear in his letter to the Galatians when he says, In Messiah, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female. And think about how hard it would be for the leaders in Israel to hear this because the leaders of the people, the Pharisees, had some traditional blessings that they read. Listen to what they would say. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me like a Greek. Blessed are you, Lord our God, who has not made me a slave. And blessed are you, Lord, who has not made me a woman. Now you understand why Shaul uses that example. Here Shaul and Yeshua tells us that the very ones, the slaves, the Greeks, and the women will take the place of the leaders at the Messianic banquet because of their great faith. Because the lesson here in Acts chapter 10 is anyone who calls on the Lord and confesses His unworthiness and that Yeshua is Lord is going to a banquet. Amen? Amen? That's good news. Verse 14 says, And when Yeshua came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up. And began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yeshua fulfills prophecy again by healing and driving out demons. He shows his authority over illness, demons. And what I want you to see is that Yeshua knows who he is in the kingdom. And when people came in contact with him, they knew as well. The demons knew of his authority. And the point I want to make to all of us this morning is that he now resides in us. And it may be time that we begin to understand who we are in Yeshua and stop wallowing in who we were. Let's read on in verse 18. When Yeshua saw the crowd, 
around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. When a teacher of the law came to him, he said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Yeshua replied, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Yeshua told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This retelling of the miracles of Yeshua by Matthew ends with one of the teachers of the law, the ones that Yeshua has been so critical of in his Sermon on the Mount, coming to Yeshua and asking to be a disciple. And what does Yeshua tell him? He tells him the high cost of being a disciple. The teacher comes to him with this great exuberance, this excitement, after seeing all the things that Yeshua has done. And he asks, let me be your disciple. And it should go for a lesson for us. You know, oftentimes we don't count the costs of things. We see teachers, we see people who seem to have the Spirit of God working in their lives, and we desire those things. But I'm going to tell you, everything in the kingdom comes at a cost. And so he tells him, following me will mean you'll have no rest until the rest comes. Following Yeshua means you'll follow, you'll travel with him. You'll have nowhere to really call home because Yeshua had nowhere. He traveled his entire ministry. We need to learn from that and understand that life in Yeshua is a life of being a servant to all. You know, oftentimes people see pastors and, and so forth and they, are, they have, seem to have authority and they exercise authority when in fact they're really servants to the king. You know, nothing, no clear, nowhere is it more clear than in the life of Moses. You look at the life of Moses and he would say things and things would happen. He would part the sea. And we look at him and say, what a powerful man. It wasn't that he was a powerful man. It was that he was a humble man. And so because he was a humble man, God could work through him. And so what we see is the mighty power of God working through him. Not Moses. We see God working through him. This is also the first time in the narrative of Matthew that Yeshua refers to himself as the Son of Man. We'll find in the book of Enoch that the Son of Man was an end-time figure. And indeed, the book of Daniel, we're going to see that he's an end-time figure. We can find him in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, if you look and read, you'll find that most scholars point out at this time early to the mid-first century, the Son of Man was really not recognized as a messianic title. And we can see this in the words of Yeshua as well. In Matthew chapter 16, he says this in verse 13. When Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Even though at this time there was little connection 
between the Son of Man and the Messiah, Yeshua is going to over and over connect the dots for His disciples. Remember, Yeshua is first and foremost a teacher. He uses the term Son of Man over and over for things that Messiah will do. And I want to show you a few of those. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 40, He says this, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels... And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into a blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, it says, Truly I tell you that some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Yeshua is teaching his disciples the same thing that Peter will understand in this very chapter of Matthew, chapter 16, that Yeshua is the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. And he is the Son of the living God as well. You know, the second young man who comes to Yeshua to be a disciple, Yeshua tells him, in essence, you can put nothing before being a disciple. You can put nothing before your walk with Yeshua. He tells him, I just want to go bury the dead. Yeshua says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. And understand that burying the dead was a very important thing. It was one of the important commandments. It was a major part of honoring your father and your mother. The only real person in Scripture who couldn't bury the dead, who couldn't go near the dead, who was exempt, was a Nazarite. Listen to what chapter 6 of Numbers and verse 6 says. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body, even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies. They must not make themselves ceremonial unclean on account of them because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. So I believe that Yeshua is again pointing to the high price of discipleship with Him. And He's putting it on the same level as a Nazarite vow. All too often, you know, we take our walks with the Lord so casually, so lightly, that, in fact, we don't even walk with the Lord. Yeshua tells us over and over, the cost of discipleship will consume your life. It requires all that you are and a humility that always looks to God for direction and to your fellow man in submission, in servanthood. But then he also tells us of the blessing of discipleship. Listen to the words of the Master in John chapter 14. Yeshua said, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Verily, truly, very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask of me anything in my name, and I will do it. Yeshua tells us that his disciples, imagine this, his disciples are going to do greater things. And in fact, anything that we ask for, that's in his will, that's in his name, will be done. If a disciple asks of Yeshua that which is in his will and kingdom, it will be done for him by his Father. And so, what's the problem with the church today? That we don't see the things that Yeshua did happening in church today. Well, let me just submit one possibility. Maybe it's because we don't have many disciples in the church today. We have a whole lot of Christians in church today. But how many true disciples do we have? You see, there's a huge difference between discipleship and Christianity. There are a lot of Christians in the world, but when you examine what discipleship was, you find out there are few disciples. Another thing is that many of those who do exhibit this quality of discipleship don't really have an understanding of who they are in the kingdom. They don't have the same understanding that the disciples had. Folks, it's time we began to walk as disciples. And in the power that was intended for the disciples to walk in. It's time we walk in who God says we are. And not the pitiful state that he found us in. It's time we get into our prayer closets. And we spend some time with God. And let him heal our understanding of who we are. Curl up in his arms, so to speak, and let God show us how much he loves us. And that through him, we too, because Messiah indwells us, can go into the world and render the unclean clean. We can be restorers of broken walls. Amen?